Let us pray. Our most gracious Father, draw near and enlighten our hearts by opening our eyes and our ears to hear your word, to receive your word, to be more and more built up and drawn near to you, for you have drawn near to us. Grant us the knowledge to know that you are our God and we are your people, and that you will fulfill all that you have promised to do towards us. Grant us faith and fill us, Lord, with your Spirit. We ask this all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So when I prepare my sermons every week, I go through a process. I like to look around at various commentaries. I even do internet searches and find different articles about what I'm going to be preaching on, I hope. Sometimes I even look for videos to watch. Occasionally there's a good video out there that helps me grasp the text a little bit better. But this week I ran across a video that struck me as very odd. It was on this gospel, it was on this passage about the widow's might, as we used to say. Here it calls it two small copper coins. I think in older translations it referred to as the widow's might. In the video, one of the points that was made was that sacrifice isn't noble. That sacrifice isn't really something we're supposed to do, apparently. That that's not the point Jesus is making here, that he's not commending the widow for her sacrifice, but is really condemning everyone else who has power. And it's all about power and not about the sacrifice of the widow. That in fact, she is to be pitied for being so obtruse that she would give everything she had to God. And in the video, the individual asks, where does this idea of giving till it hurts even come from? Where, where do we get the idea that we're supposed to sacrifice to the point of pain? And I'm assuming this was a pastor giving us a little lesson on this passage. And I was just dumbfounded because I was like, um, from Jesus. Jesus literally gave to the point of death. He went beyond just giving to the point of pain. He sacrificed himself literally for us. And that ultimately we're called to do that as well. As he works and changes us and is working in us, we die to self. We take up a cross that we might die. And so the idea of giving to the point of pain, the idea of giving to the point of death, is based on what Jesus has done for us. He has done that for us, and he calls us into that same kind of life. If we are called to follow Jesus, we are called to die. Now granted, the point of this passage, I think, isn't really about the widow's giving per se. That's not the foundation here. Yes, she does give. She gives everything. But there's something deeper going on. We get the passage wrong if we reduce it to mere stewardship. If we just focus on this passage like it's just a perfect little pericope for a stewardship moment at church. We're wrong to make it about that. We're wrong to make it about how much we can give or how hard it is to give. So it's not so much about giving as we think it is. But on the other hand, it isn't not about giving. It isn't less than giving that we're talking about here. Once more, we'd be wrong to walk away and not see something about giving in this passage. 
something about sacrifice. But we don't always get there in the way that we think we should. He isn't so much holding the widow up in herself as an example that we should follow without any question whatsoever. And yet, she is an example that we should follow, that we should hear and see. So there are these tensions that we get the right ideas out of it, but we get them in the wrong way so often. We jump to the conclusion before we peel back the layers to understand why Jesus is even talking about this widow, why he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and, con and his condemnations and, and then turning and seeing this widow. So I hope you're not confused yet about what this passage is about. That it's not about her giving, it's not about how hard, how much faith she has, but yet it is. These two things are held in tension. That it's not about this, but it is about this. It's not about the widow in and of herself. Foundationally, it's not about her action or her inward disposition. But first and foremost, it's about something much more deep, much deeper than what is going on. It is about who God is. It is about his promises. It is about his great acts in history. It is about the why of the widow. Why would she give? Why would she give everything she has? So it's not about the widow's faith and her giving so much as it is absolutely about the promises of a great covenant God. And that ultimately the might of the widow's might is not in her ability to give or the strength of her faith, but is alone based on the covenant God who will fulfill all of his promises towards those who believe. The might of the widow's might is in God himself, not in her. And so to get to that place of seeing where this is coming from, let's dig, dig into this passage and look at the condemnation that this passage begins with. Right there at the beginning of our section in Acts in Mark 12, 38, Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Anytime Jesus goes after the scribes or goes after the Pharisees or even the Sadducees, I have to pause for a moment. I have to pause and reflect because especially in this one where he talks about them walking around in long robes. I like my robes. <laughs> I like greetings in the marketplace. I like having the best seat. I enjoy having a place of honor. We have to step back though whenever Jesus condemns a group of people and we have to ask ourselves, how am I like those people? We don't want to make the mistake of that other Pharisee who said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those other people, but we should always ask, how am I this person? How am I like these people that Jesus is condemning? How am I acting faithlessly and acting selfishly? How am I trying to make my way to the top of the heap so that everyone will look at me, me, me? We pursue acknowledgement. We pursue getting people to like us. But here, all of those pursuits are stripped away. And Jesus condemns that behavior. He condemns this idea of doing things for show. 
He condemns faithlessness here. He condemns self-centeredness here. He condemns the idea that you are just here to get honor and glory for yourself. That it's not about you ultimately though. You are called to trust. You are called to have faith. If you make long prayers, then you better have faith in making those long prayers. And faith isn't always what we think it is. Faith is just simply trust. Trust of any amount. Even the smallest amount of faith makes prayers that are heard by God. The smallest amount of faith just simply says, God is the truth teller. God is the one who always tells the truth. God is the one who has made promises for those who have faith. He has made promises to his people and he calls us to himself. But I am the liar. I am the truth breaker. I am the promise breaker. I am the one who does not fulfill God's promises. God fulfills them on my behalf that I might enter into those promises. That is what we are called into. But Jesus here condemns those who would act without faith, who would claim those promises as their own without trust, without faith, who would claim those promises as though they are saying, I am the promise keeper. I am the one who always tells the truth. I am the one that these promises are all about. But the reality is it is Jesus that these promises are about. And that is what Jesus here condemns, this attitude of self-centeredness, this attitude of faithlessness, this attitude of utter and complete doubt and rejection of who God is and the promises he has made. And immediately upon that condemnation, he turns to a commendation. Consider here the commendation he gives for this widow. He sat down the, the opposite of the treasury boxes and watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many people put in large sums. With the layout of the temple, Jesus is most likely in the court of women. And there in that court, there were 13 boxes for offerings. Each box was for something different, for a different aspect of how the temple ran. And so people were going around and dropping in huge amounts of money in different boxes for various things, whether it was for incense, for wood, for gold to put on things. People were freely giving. One commentary I read made the comment that they actually had to make a law to stop people from giving so much. That they had so much wealth in the treasury of the temple that they had to make a law that said, okay, don't give so much. Give a little bit less. Let other people have an opportunity to give here. That's commendable, I think, that people were so excited about the temple and the work of the temple that they were giving. But for so many who gave, they gave from a wrong disposition. They gave from a wrong attitude. They gave from an attitude of saying, I'm keeping the promises of God. I am the promise keeper. They put in large sums to prove how great they were. But then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. She put in just the tiniest amount into the offering box. We don't know which one, but into one of them she put a simple offering. And Jesus called his disciples and said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their wealth. 
out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. She gave everything, all that she had to live on. And so he points her out to his disciples. He shows them, shows her to them. He says, look what she has done. All of these other people who have come and dropped money in the offering box, they gave out of abundance. They gave large sums. Yes, they gave great amounts, but they gave out of an abundance of wealth. And here comes this poor widow, and she puts in everything. She gives all of herself to the Lord. She throws herself at the mercy of the Lord by giving everything to him. In this day and age, that is a dangerous thing for a widow. If she has no support from children, she has made herself utterly and completely destitute in this moment to give all that she had. And we know that it is all that she had because Jesus can see the heart. Jesus can look beyond the surface. He knows what she is doing. He can read her thoughts and her heart because he is God himself. He knows the hearts and thoughts of men. And so he knows that those who are contributing out of their wealth aren't necessarily contributing out of faith. And he knows that she is utterly and completely dependent on God and that she is giving in faith. And so he commends her to his disciples. He reveals her to his disciples. He points her out so that they will look at her. And of course, this lines up rather well with what we've been reading lately in the Gospel of Mark, hearing about the infighting between the disciples, hearing about how we're supposed to love God with our whole being. All of this comes together here, I think, in this widow, and she is to be commended for acting in faith. But as I said, this commendation isn't foundationally about her. Yes, he recognizes her faith. He recognizes the depth of her giving. But yet there's something way down deep below the surface here. In between the condemnation of the scribes and the commendation of the widow is grace. It is the grace of God, which is his great act in Jesus for us sinners. For us who have departed from God by what we are. By being what we are in and of ourselves, we flee from God. Everything depends on Jesus himself and not us. And that is what this woman is basing her life on. The promises of God himself. She gives because she trusts. And she can trust because she knows who God is. She knows the God that has been revealed in the Old Testament. The God that she has been taught about. The God that she hears about. The God who is one. And who will fulfill his promises. Who said, I will be your God. And you will be my people. That is the great central promise of the Bible. That God comes into this world to make us his own. Amen. He calls out a people to himself and he secures a pathway to himself for them. And that is what this woman is trusting in as she gives up everything. She is trusting in this God who has promised that he will come and make all things new. I think it's much like that widow in the Old Testament we heard about today also. There's another widow to be commended. For she is nothing but a Gentile. Elijah was sent up to Zarephath by the Lord. Zarephath was in an area there at Sidon that was Gentile territory that was outside of the boundaries of Israel. And so Elijah goes up there and he sits down and this widow comes by and he says, Oh, could you give me a little bit of water in the middle of a drought? 
A drought that affects not only Israel, but all the surrounding areas, even the Gentile areas who have their own set of gods, who have their own fertility worship, who are seeing their gods fail at bringing them crops, fail at bringing them water and rain that they desperately need. He looks at this Gentile widow and says, can you give me a little bit of water? And she willingly does it. As she turns to go, he says, oh, and could you bring me a little bread? Could you bring me a morsel to eat? She says that the Lord your God lives. She knew who he was. She recognized him as an Israelite, as a believer in Yahweh. And so she says, as Yahweh your God lives, I have nothing. We only have a little bit of flour and a little oil and I'm going to go get a couple of sticks. How pitiful is that? She's not even getting logs to build a roaring fire to sit by, but just a few sticks to create enough heat to make a little bit of bread so that she and her son can eat it and die. She knows she has no hope in this world anymore. But Elijah says, don't fear. Go and do what I've told you to do. Make me a little cake and then make some for yourself and your son and the jar of flour will not run out according to Yahweh, the God of Israel. He will keep it with plenty for you until rain comes once more. And she did it. She trusted. She believed. She knew something about Yahweh. She knew something about his control and his power. If he is such a great God who can call out a drought upon his own people and cause a drought to extend to the Gentile world around his people, he must be an all-powerful God beyond all the Baals that are, exist in their world, beyond every fertility God that they could hunt down and worship. It is Yahweh alone who is the true God. And so she acts on the reality of who Yahweh is. And she makes food for Elijah, and then she makes food for herself and her son, and the word of the Lord was fulfilled. The jar of oil nor the jar of flour became empty. They stayed filled up with enough every time she needed to make some more bread because God fulfills his promises. Amen. He has said he will do this for her, and so she acts in faith, and that's what we do. We act in faith not because our faith is anything in itself, but because our faith is in a great God. And that's what this widow does. She acts in faith toward this great God, before this great God, who will fulfill all of his promises. The might of her might is in God himself. And that is what we look to this day. We look to the great acts of God that we hear about in Hebrews as well. Christ entered into holy places not made with hands, which are just copies, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. For us, he goes into heaven. For us, he is raised from the dead. And it's not to offer himself repeatedly because the sacrifice is done. He goes to present himself and in himself us. That he has put away sin itself through his death and resurrection. And when he returns, it will be to save us. It will be to renew us. It will be to redeem us from all that is broken in us. Because we are eagerly waiting on him. We are looking in faith to what he is going to accomplish on our behalf. That he has accomplished and that we are waiting for the manifestation of in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. He goes into heaven for us in order to bring about the fullness and the completion of salvation on our behalf. Amen. That is our hope. That is what our faith rests upon is this great promise of God making himself our God for it is through Jesus that he becomes our God in a real real way 
And it is in Jesus that we truly become the people of God. And so that means we respond as the people of God. We turn in faith and act in faith. We desire to seek after what God calls us to do. We look to his word in order to understand how to live rightfully in light of the work of Jesus that transforms us. That is why the widow's might is so mighty. It's because she has been transformed by this very God that she trusts in. Her faith alone rests in this true God. And that true God brings about great acts of obedience and love and faith and charity in this woman's life. The great love of God transforms her into one of the greatest givers in Scripture because she gave everything out of her poverty while many others gave out of their wealth. They gave out of the good standing they had. They gave out of the abundance they had. They gave out of the comfort they had. It reminds us that all of our acts have to flow out of who Jesus is and out of the great depth of poverty that we truly have. We have to look at ourselves and see that we are not self-sufficient, that we are not able to do anything in and of ourselves at the end of the day. Everything is based on who God himself is. Amen. All of our acts are based on Jesus himself. For any of our acts to have any power, it comes out of faith. That we draw near in faith. We are changed by faith because that faith is in a God who changes us. And thus the smallest of actions can be commended as the greatest of deeds. This tiny action of the widow of giving just a couple of little pennies, a just a tiny little penny into the offering, becomes a great act that is recorded for all of history to recall and to look upon. While those who gave large sums vanish, she is remembered and praised and commended, not because of faith, not merely because of giving, but because that giving is in and toward a great God that she is trusting in and giving to. She looks to this great God, to this great Savior, this great Messiah, and we look to the same God who has sent the Messiah Jesus for us. And so in all of our acts, let us not think of how great they are. Let us just simply do. And as we do, let us do in faith. Regardless of how strong or great or beautiful or big or huge that faith may be, even if it's a small faith enough that says God is the truth teller, he is the promise keeper, that is faith. Faith that says Jesus has accomplished it on my behalf, that is faith. And so let us act in all the small ways that God gives us with faith, with repentance, with trust, and with love. Let us act before God because he is a true God who has enabled us to do so. Our faith doesn't make our actions beautiful, but it is God's transformative love that makes all of our actions beautiful. Because he receives them for the sake of Jesus. He purifies them for the sake of Jesus. He makes them new for the sake of Jesus. As our colleague this day said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God. And heirs of eternal hope. That is our hope. Eternal life is our hope. And so may we purify ourselves as he is pure. Because of what God has done. Because he is fulfilling his promises in Jesus toward us. Let us purify ourselves then. And act in faith in everything. In the smallest of deeds to the greatest of acts. Let them all be done out of faith in a God. Who will bring us eternal life in Jesus himself. Amen. And so may we draw near with faith. 
and with love and a great and glorious God who has promised through Jesus that I will be your God and you will be my people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.